in the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, we had sort of the introduction to chapter 16, as we saw the seven angels in heaven who are given the seven final plagues, which will complete the judgment of God upon the earth. And these seven angels came out of the temple, and they were clothed in pure white linen. And one of the cherubim gave to the angels these vials of wrath to pour out upon the earth. And the temple of God was filled with the smoke from the glory of God, and it was closed now to man. No man was able to enter in during the time that these seven plagues are being poured out upon the earth. And John said, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Revelation 16.1 And so that awesome command is now given from the temple of God, and these angels are dispatched with the seven final plagues, which, with which God will smite the earth prior to the sending of his Son to take dominion and control and to rule over the earth. And the first angel went forth and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the man which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Verse 2. It would seem now that God is making a distinction that this noisome, which literally is a running sore, an ulcer type of sore that doesn't heal, much like one gets from radiation burns, that God makes a distinction between who that are faithful to him and those who have worshipped the beast and have taken his mark. For the fact that it comes upon those which have the mark and those that worship his image does seem that God is now making a difference. We remember when God poured out his plagues upon the Egyptians that God made a difference at that time and that the judgments fell upon the Egyptians. But God protected the Israelites from those judgments. Though there was darkness over all of the land of Egypt, there was light in the camp of Israel. And God made provisions to protect his people. He had them put the blood upon the lentils and the doorposts of their house so that they would not be grieved with the loss of the firstborn, as were the Egyptians when the Lord passed through Egypt that night and killed the firstborn of the whole land. God was making a distinction between those that were his and those that are not his. And such is the case here as this first angel pours out his vial and men break out with these horrible sores. And in verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. Notice the first angel touches the earth and the second now touches the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea. Verse 3. Just how God is to accomplish this is a matter of speculation. And as we study some of the natural phenomena of the past, we realize that there are many ways by which these things could happen. In Emmanuel Villacosby's book, Worlds in Collision, it's a book whereby his premise that he seeks to prove is that the planet Venus 
was introduced into our solar system within the last 10,000 years, within the period of recorded history. And according to his premise, the plagues that came upon Egypt were a result of a near miss with the planet Venus as it was coming in an erratic orbit into the solar system. And it passed close by the Earth and that the Earth was moved from its orbit that it had had at that time. You see, they used to predicate time on a 360-day year. And then suddenly we started moving from 365 and a quarter. For we realized that this is how much time it takes for us to make our orbit around the sun. But it is his premise that this 360-day year was a correct year. Of course, if you figured on 360-day year within five years, all your seasons would be totally fouled up. And every 20 years or so, you would be completely off in your seasons. And so the 360-day year must have been an accurate calculation at that time. But the 365 days and a quarter, he does believe that the Earth used to rotate in the opposite direction of its present rotation. And there are a lot of interesting things that he presents in that book, which challenges your thinking. But he does feel that the near miss caused a tremendous amount of debris to be brought into our atmosphere. And that as it disintegrated into our atmosphere, as the meteorites do, they turned into a red dust that fell all over the earth. And as it fell into the waters, it turned them to a bloody red, as the waters of Egypt were turned to a bloody red and made undrinkable. Now, it's an interesting premise. It is also interesting that one of the concerns that the scientists have today is that of a large asteroid, perhaps getting caught in its orbit within the Earth's gravitational pull and being drawn to the Earth. And the tremendous devastation that would come if we were to have a collision with an asteroid that was, say, oh, five miles or more in diameter. And presently, they are watching an asteroid whose orbit is bringing it, as far as the astronomical calculations go, it is going to bring it into a fairly close orbit. It is about 75 miles wide, this asteroid, which would do tremendous devastation to the Earth should we collide with such an asteroid. There are several thousand asteroids in the solar system, most of them around the planet Jupiter. There is that asteroid belt there, and they have calculated the orbits of many of these asteroids. Some 2,000 of them have an orbit at which, at some time, is apt to interact with the Earth. So the chances of asteroids hitting the Earth are three in a million every year. There have been in the past asteroids that have collided with the Earth. The crater that is out there in Winslow, Arizona, that is three miles in diameter, they feel that that was probably an asteroid. And they also feel that an asteroid of that size impacting the Earth is enough to tilt the Earth or push the Earth. In other words, if it hit at the right angle, it would flip the Earth. And there is a lot of speculation now that the physicists who have believed that an asteroid, such as the one that hit the desert in Arizona there, would have been capable of pushing the Earth in that way. So that suddenly, say, we are living here in the pleasant Southern California climate, but if the asteroid would hit the Earth at the right angle, it could suddenly push us 
under the Arctic mass of air in just a minute's time. And we would be we we would be under this Arctic attack, Arctic air, and everything in a moment would be flash frozen. Instead of sitting in this balmy weather of oh 50, 60, 70 degrees or so, which it will go down to tonight, we would suddenly be in 50 degree below zero weather and everything would just be frozen. And they believe that's perhaps what has happened in the past, and that explains the mammoths that are frozen in Siberia, in Siberia, who have evidently at the time that this catastrophe took place were munching on tropical vegetation. For they, in cutting their stomachs open, they found tropical vegetation in their digestive tracts. But suddenly they were frozen in place. And they feel that perhaps an asteroid hit and pushed the Earth so it twisted it, an area that was once tropical was suddenly pushed under the mass of Arctic air and frozen in place. So the change was not a gradual change, but a sudden and catastrophic one. And so by what means God is going to bring to pass these judgments is left to speculation. What kind of phenomena, whether it be an asteroid or whatever, is something that we don't know. Of course, our scientists are so concerned about this that our government and Russia are spending millions of dollars, billions of dollars, in the research of this program. And they are putting up a new telescope, and they have put it up on Kitten Mountain near Tucson. And its purpose is to track the asteroids and to alert the world of the dangers. And there was a plan at one point, if it becomes an imminent danger of a particular asteroid coming into our gravitational field, that we would send the space shuttle on out to the asteroid and try to divert its orbit. Or they have talked about blowing up the thing with an atom bomb, but on further study of that, they realized that we would be colliding with a lot of debris, and that didn't seem to be a too pleasant of a thought. So it has been a major scientific project, the projecting of the Earth from the possibility of impacting with asteroids that exist out here in our solar system. Thousands of them. There are over 2,000 that are already charted at some point that are going to interact with us here on the planet Earth. Who knows, right? There are some 18,000 meteorites that come into our atmosphere every minute and are burned up as they come into our atmosphere. Small particles of space junk God has designed to dissolve for the most part as they heat up through the friction as they come speeding into the denser atmosphere around the Earth. And they, of course, disintegrate or burn out most of the time before they hit the Earth. Some of them hit the Earth, and you have probably seen some of the meteorites that have fallen and hit the Earth. But God is going to bring these judgments. By what natural phenomenon? We don't know. It could be that God will bring something that man has not seen up to this point, but you can be sure it's going to happen. And whatever causes the seas to turn red like blood, we have even seen here during those years where we have what is known as the red tide, the plankton as it multiplies, it gives the water a reddish hue. This is the result of the plankton taking the oxygen out of the water, and it is quite deadly to the fish as the oxygen within the water is depleted by the red tide. It makes for a spectacular viewing. And whenever there is a red tide, I, I'd 
I would love to go to the beach at night and watch the surf because it looks like neon tubes. When the surf breaks, the plankton, which has a lot of phosphorus in it, and all the waves, they roll, and the phosphorus lights up, and it looks like neon tubes lighting up the ocean. It is spectacular to watch, but horrible to swim in. The surfing is bad in a red tide. The water tastes horrible if you happen to swallow it, and your eyes really burn if you get water in them with that red tide. But oh, how beautiful at night. So it could be a, a massive red tide depleting the water of the oxygen and causing those souls within the sea to die. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became his blood. Verse 4. So not only will the ocean be turned as blood, but now also the rivers and fountains of water also. The similar thing happened in Egypt, as you recall, and the water became undrinkable. So when this happens on a worldwide scale, imagine, just imagine what this is going to do to man when suddenly all the fresh water is gone. All the fresh water supplies are polluted. They are about half polluted now in this particular plague. The water supplies being polluted is going to be devastating for man. And as the waters are turned to blood and made undrinkable, I heard the angel of the waters say, verse 5. Now, later on, we are going to have an angel standing in the sun. And here is an angel that God has put over the charge of the fresh waters. It's interesting, these angels. They're going to be interesting persons to meet. And I'm sort of anxious to meet the angel that God has given charge to watch over me. And the Bible says that he will give his angels charge over you to keep keep you in all your ways, to bear you up at any time, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Psalm 91, 11, and 12. So it is going to be interesting to meet the angel that has been watching out over me. I want to know what happened to him on a few occasions. He was sleeping on the job or something. But that's all right. I forgive him. I want him to know before I get there, that I don't hold anything against him. But it will be fun to meet him. Now, here's an angel that God has put in charge of the waters. And the angel of the waters declares, You are righteous, O Lord, which is and was and shall be, because you have judged thus. Verse 5. And it's just sort of a right on God, right? Right on God. What a perfect judgment. One thing about God is that his judgments are right. And here is the declaration of the righteousness of God's judgment. And all the way through this whole period of judgment, we find the voices that are declaring the righteousness of God's judgment. It is interesting, though, that, that through heaven, there, there comes the continual testimony of the righteousness of God's judgments. And this is the thing that many people are concerned about and worried about, is will God be fair? Would it be fair for God to condemn forever a man who, had the, who never had the opportunity of knowing Jesus Christ? Would it be fair for God to condemn forever a baby who died without ever knowing or heard or making a decision, etc., etc.? Whatever God does will be absolutely fair. God will not be unfair. He will not be unjust. You don't have to worry about that. 
Here as God turns the fresh water into blood, the angel says, Righteous God, that is right on. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and now you've given them blood to drink. and They deserve it. Verse 6. They have shed so much blood. What a righteous judgment. They like blood so much. Give it to them to drink. And I heard another angel out of the altar say, Amen, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Verse 7. So the affirmation during the period of judgment of the righteousness of God's judgments. Now, Abraham, when the Lord announced to him that he was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, Shall not the Lord of the earth be just? Shouldn't God be fair? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shouldn't God be fair? And the Lord said, if there are 50 righteous, we will spare. What if there are 40 righteous? 40 righteous, we will spare the city. What if there are 30? 30 righteous, we will spare the city. What if there are 20? What if there are 10? The Lord said, if there are 10 righteous persons, we will spare it for the 10. Genesis 18, 22 through 32. The angels got to the city of Sodom and found one righteous man. So what did they do? They led him out and they said, hurry, get out of here. We can't destroy this thing until you are out. God is righteous. God is fair. The judgments of God are righteous and true. You can count on that. And the fourth angel poured out his vials upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God. Revelation 16, 8 and 9. A lot of times we have the concept that if God would only send his judgment, that people would turn from their wickedness. And that's generally not the case. When God sends his judgment, the righteous who have turned from their righteousness turn back to God. And we do read in the Old Testament where the judgments of God cause the righteous to turn to the Lord. But the judgments of God so often just harden the heart of the unpenitent. And such is the case during the great judgment period. Rather than turning these people to the Lord, they blaspheme God. These preachers who think their sermons on hell, fire, and judgment, brimstone, and all are going to turn people to the Lord are really not that first in the scriptures. For the scripture says, no, that it is the goodness of God that brings a man to repentance. Amen. And that is one thing that really gets me. I don't know what I deserve. I mean, I I think I deserve to go to hell. You don't have to tell me that. But to tell me that God loves me and is willing to forgive me, willing to pardon me, willing to make me his child and to share his eternal kingdom with me, that's the thing that gets me. He causes me to turn my heart and my life to God and to change. 
goodness of God leads a man to repentance. And I'll tell you what, the goodness of God led this man to repentance. So as God's judgments fall, and as the sun is now scorching men, now again, how is this accomplished? It's a matter of speculation, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. We know that the sun shall be darkened before the day of the Lord comes. The moon turns as blood and the sun into darkness. It could be before the sun goes into darkness. It could be the sun goes into a supernova condition. This is a phenomenon that we have observed in the universe many times as stars that go into this supernova condition where they heat up for a few days and increase in their intensity and light and as they sort of just burn out and then they just seem to die out. Flick off. The death of the stars is a supernova condition. It's sort of like a light bulb when the glass is broken suddenly. It will go very bright because the oxygen is now hitting those filaments, but because of the extreme brightness and the oxygen hitting the filaments, the filaments get so hot that they burn in two and the thing goes out. With the stars, it's it's a different principle. We don't know what causes a supernova yet. I mean, we really don't. They become extremely brilliant and then apparently have burned out or something, but it's a supernova condition. It could be the sun will come into this type of supernova condition. And we do know that there is going to be a dimming effect and the sun will shine for a third part and so forth during that part of the tribulation. So this could be a supernova. Could be that's what is happening during these seven last plagues. This could be that there is a major nuclear holocaust upon the earth that Russia and the United States and everybody else gets, let's go all the, just let's all their nuclear weapons go. And we know one of the effects of the nuclear weapons being detonated in our atmosphere is the destruction of the ozone blanket, which has already been depleted once by all these CFCs, these chlorofluorocarbons back in the late 70s, early 80s, that were used to pressurize the different shaving creams and hairsprays and things like that. And these fluorocarbon gases went up into the stratosphere combined with the ozone gases, which is a very unstable gas at best. And as they combined with the ozone, it broke it down. And so the prohibition against the fluorocarbons in pressurized cans ever since. And when we did that, the whole did repair itself. We know also that the atom bombs have the same effect on this ozone blanket, which is a protective blanket, which does shield us from much of the ultraviolet rays. And that seems to be the purpose for God putting the ozone blanket there to protect the earth from the sun's ultraviolet rays for the exposure to these ultraviolet rays causes running sores. It causes noisome pestilences, really. I mean, if you're exposed to ultraviolet rays, you're going to get sores. It creates burns, skin cancer. So maybe what we have here is a nuclear holocaust. And these are the effects that would happen as a result of that nuclear holocaust. God knows what man's folly will bring to pass. As far as natural calamities is concerned, it is interesting that God predicted in Isaiah 19 the building of the Aswan Dam. 
not only did he predict the building of the Aswan Dam, but he also said of all the ec ecological damage that would result from the building of that dam. The destruction of the fishing industry, the loss of farmland and crops and so forth, and the ecological problems that would result from the building of the Aswan Dam. He said that the counselors were fools because they did not take into account the ecological damage. And actually, there have been talks of blowing up that dam to cure the damage that's been caused by the building of the dam. And they have, of course, lost completely the fishing industry. There used to be great fishing industry around the mouth of the Mediterranean because all the debris brought by the Nile River fed the fish. With the dam now, all of these nutrients and all are not brought along the Nile River anymore into the Mediterranean. And as a result of the dam, they don't have any longer that silt buildup. So you are getting the saltwater intrusion into all that rich delta farmland that used to exist there at the mouth of the Nile, where it came into the Mediterranean. Because you see, tons of sand would, would be brought by the Nile River every year into the Mediterranean, and it formed this beautiful delta of farmland. And that's not happening anymore. In fact, you are starting, and it has happened, there's saltwater intrusion, and they've lost more agricultural acreage than they gained with their ability now to irrigate with the water. But they have lost more acreage than they have ever gained, and they lost the richest kind of acreage. And so God knows the damage that will take place, and it could be that the Lord here is describing the damage that will result from a massive nuclear holocaust. Men were scorched with the great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So even as God brought darkness upon Egypt, so God brings darkness upon the kingdom of the beast. And again, this could indicate a supernova condition of the sun where it becomes extremely bright for a few days and then it becomes dark. But they blaspheme the God of heaven, verse 11. Man just continues to blaspheme God because of their pain and their sores and they repented not of their deeds. So the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof were dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Verses 11 and 12. So God is going to gather the nations into the area of Israel from the valley of Megiddo to Edom. And so God dries up now the river Euphrates to prepare the way for the kings of the east. China, all of her vast hordes of people, India, Pakistan, Japan, moving in from the east. 